Welcome to the Thriving Forward podcast. Now to introduce your hosts. Hi, I'm Megan Laspinera. I'm the founder and executive director of Kids Thrive 585 Inc. and a pediatrician in Rochester, New York. And I'm Sarah Collins McGowan. I'm also a pediatrician here in Rochester, and I teach community health and advocacy to pediatric residents. In each episode, we will speak with people involved in good works and projects in the greater Rochester area. We hope that by introducing you to these inspirational people and their stories, you will be motivated to learn more about these amazing organizations in our region and the fabulous people who keep them working. Hi, it's Megan. And today on the podcast, my guest is Dr. Brenda Tassini. She is an expert in pediatric infectious diseases at the University of Rochester Medical Center and the Associate Hospital Epidemiologist. She focuses on infection prevention within the hospital in addition to childhood illnesses. How are you doing today, Brenda? Hi, Megan. Thanks for having me. Doing well. And yourself? I'm great, thanks. One of the things we like to start with on the show is something that you're into lately. Don't feel like you need to be limited in your topic. It doesn't have to be medically related in any way. And COVID has brought out all new hobbies for people. So what's something that you're into? Um, I would say most of my time is spent exploring new areas to walk with my dog. Uh, So not something new per se, but something I've really made more of an effort uh, to take time to do. And uh, we live in the city, so we can walk to a lot of the different city and county parks around and um, about to bust out my snowshoes and see what we can do in the snow too. I'm excited for that. Have you found one that you were really surprised by? Um, I guess I'm, I was surprised by uh, walking around the Highland Park neighborhood and different ways that you can get into the whole network of, I think of almost distinct parks that make up Highland Park. And that's been really neat. And to kind of see how we have a lot of really interesting, unique homes in the city that border all of this beautiful parkland. That's been very exciting to explore. So I gave you a woefully smart or short bio today, and I know it's not really doing justice to all the great work that you're doing. So can you talk a little bit about what does it mean to be a hospital epidemiologist and sort of have this focus on infection within the hospital and how that plays into your work in infectious diseases? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Um, So before COVID, and you guys might hear my dog a little bit there. Before COVID, um, I don't think many people knew much about infection prevention or infection control in a hospital setting or other settings and um, uh, what is a hospital epidemiologist. Uh, So basically every hospital has one or several and um, we help develop strategies to prevent any new infections in people who are admitted to the hospital for other reasons. Um, So some of these might be an infection related to a surgery or procedure someone would have or an infection that gets introduced because you need um, IV catheters um, or catheters for urine um, that then can introduce uh, infection. And so we track all of these and we work with uh, nurses and doctors taking care of the patients to have more systemic approaches, system-wide approaches um, to preventing these. And this also crosses into things like if someone gets admitted with flu or RSV, how do we prevent that from spreading within our hospital? 
And so that you can see how that type of work then um, would translate into having a whole new virus um, that we have to figure out um, how to prevent that from spreading within the hospital. And I think this pandemic has really brought our work outside of the hospital a lot more than historically um, we've really been involved in. Yeah, so the, the base of it gets to this idea of a patient comes in with, uh, you know, for, to get their appendix out, you want to make sure that while they're at the hospital, they don't get COVID or an infection from something else. And while your initial focus would have been inside the hospital, now because of the pandemic, you have been much more outward facing. Yeah, exactly. Um, really, it's been hospitals and places like nursing homes and um, other places where you have a group of people essentially living together. And when you think about that's kind of what patients are doing in the hospital. Um, and so when you bring all of these people together from different areas, um, you know, we've had some things that are really unique to hospitals that we have to work to prevent, um, like infections related to your treatments or um, the care you're getting. But then this general idea that anytime you have people together, they can spread certainly respiratory viral infections. Uh, and so I think hospitals really have been able to um, leverage their expertise in preventing other, working on strategies that prevent other respiratory infections to instantly apply to COVID when it first came out. And then that's been taken to every setting. And the fact that we're wearing masks whenever we're around people outside our household uh, these are all strategies that we would use in hospitals in certain situations. And so we've really, I think, become much more public facing uh, in terms of how to help people use strategies that we know have worked uh, for other infections and apply it to COVID in settings outside the hospital and personal lives and in other workplaces. I know that you have had the opportunity to work with uh, schools maybe and some other community organizations what who have you been able to help guide in in your role and then also what has that been like for you to go from that in the hospital mindset to we're going to take these principles and apply them more widely yeah that has been a really uh interesting and um more fun aspect, if you can uh, use the word fun in the setting of a pandemic, I think we're all trying to find silver linings. And so, you know, please don't anyone take my excitement over this to be excitement at having a pandemic, but being able to partner um, with individuals, community organizations, and then whole systems. Like I think the school system is um, the perfect example of having the really the whole Finger Lakes region so not even just the city or the county, but our whole region come together and say, okay, like we can bring people together that educate kids, that um, maintain and clean our buildings, that drive our children, um, that um, work with children with complex medical needs or complex behavioral needs and infection transmission specialists like myself and like, you know, we've got this, we've got a panel of people together and let's build sets of guidelines and policies and practices um, to, to safely educate our children 
um, both at home and, and back in, in schools. Uh, so that's been really fascinating and it's had to, I think change, certainly change how I talk about the spread of infection and protecting yourself against infection. Cause typically my audience to educate and have discussions about this with would be uh, other clinicians or other generally medically trained staff. Uh, so that's been um, really neat and different and uh, a good experience to talk more directly with the public and directly with the actual school kids themselves too. Uh, we've done some education things um, specifically for students about the virus and how it's spread. What is it that you say to kids when you're describing either the virus or how it spreads or even how they can interact with mom or dad or other people in their community? Because I'm sure there's also a lot of different layers to how you can talk to, to children in a school setting about that. Yeah, and as um, I'm sure you appreciate and understand it, uh, a lot of it depends on the, the age of the children. And so um, the, the youngest children, it's a lot of um, hand washing and hand hygiene. And I think uh, a lot of us have probably seen really adorable videos of preschool classes singing different songs while washing their hands. Um, and, and the fact that that's going on and that is um, so routine now is incredible. And then as you get older, it's talking about what is a virus. Uh, and again, seeing these great drawings of viruses, like who would have thought elementary school kids would be drawing like spike protein on, on a coronavirus. It's, it's just amazing. Um, and so as you get older, it is, um, you talk a lot about how like the air that you breathe out, cough out, um, the stuff that comes out of your nose has the virus in it and it can travel through the air and eventually dissipate. But if someone's close to you, they can get it if they then breathe it in or uh, touch it directly and touch their nose. Uh, so that's the, the level that I think um, kids of, of really most ages uh, can understand. And how a uh, big thing is how masks, if you put, certainly if you put your mask and the mask on the other person in between that, the chance of that happening is really, really, really low. Um, and, and kids really understand that and appreciate that. And, and they really want to protect themselves and their families. What has made you passionate about infections in children and, and sort of studying that, but then also this shift toward, you know, the epidemiology piece, the, you know, preventing transmission within the hospital, what has driven you and what, why are you so interested in these topics? Yeah, I think infections um, I've always been interested in from one aspect of, of just like, how does our immune system work? I wanted to know that. <laughs> and so um, as you as you study that and then you realize like, oh, wow, there are, you know, all of these great um, prevention strategies as well as treatments for infections. And so uh, for me, it's always been a really rewarding career and clinically in terms of working with individual patients and being able to identify what's going on with them is really satisfying for the child, their family, and 
for yourself um, as a clinician. And then usually being able to, to offer a treatment that will make it go away. <laughs> and that too um, is also incredibly rewarding. And for the uh, infection prevention epidemiology side of it, I really got involved in that because I enjoy looking at issues and problems from uh, like a bigger picture view. Um, it's great to treat the patient in front of you and, um, and help them and their family, um, but really feeling like you see the same types of problems over and over again. And, and gosh, isn't there like a, a bigger way that as a system we can change? Uh, and prevent these from happening in the first place. And so um, it really was a great fit for me. I actually, um, so I've done my training in both pediatric and adult medicine and infectious disease. And so it's also a really neat way for me to bring those two together and see practices that we do in the children's hospital and take them to the adult hospital and vice versa. And that's been um, an extra reward um, to be able to have those work so well together. If someone was interested in pursuing similar work to what you're doing, what advice would you want to give them? I would give them, um, as opposed to depending on the, the stage of their career, if they're um, before any kind of graduate level training, um, you know, if they're a student um, or an undergraduate is to um, see what kinds of public health type opportunities they could get involved in. Uh, so either working um, with the health department, if they're uh, of an age where they could do that, or volunteering with some education programs about, um, you know, teaching about the benefits of vaccines or other ways to prevent disease. And I think uh, you'd be able to see a lot of reward from that and understand how that fits into the bigger goals of infection prevention. And if you're um, later stage career, then um, again, I'd still recommend either volunteering or trying to work um, in a paid position with either uh, your local health department or a community organization that um, really works on health education and um, specifically disease prevention. You know, I work on infectious disease prevention, but there are a lot of other non-infectious diseases that have a lot of great um, prevention work going on too, where you could also feel that, that same type of reward of, of stopping things before they start. You mentioned uh, reaching out to community organizations and that you've already worked with the Finger Lakes region schools. Are there any other community organizations or things that you have yourself been able to work with in Rochester? Yes, um, I work uh, in more of a, initially a research project role um, for the Center for Community Health and Prevention 
that's part of the university and they have an incredible uh, amount of services, a lot of education work going on and community engagement. And I think they're a wonderful resource that also partners with other organizations in the city. Um, so I'd recommend they have a great website to check out and um, they're a really good kind of hub, I guess, to then link in to other organizations. Are you actively doing any research right now, whether it's sort of clinical or bench? Is there anything that you're, any projects that you're working on right now? Uh, yeah, everything has been um, put on various stop and start pauses <laughs> throughout the year um, with COVID, of course. Um, but the research that I do at the Center for Community Health and Prevention is through the CDC, actually. We're one of um, 10 sites of part of their Emerging Infections Program. And I work in a specific division of that um, that deals with um, healthcare, the healthcare and community interface for infections. So we look at infections that could very well start in the community um, and then either spread or be a significant burden within healthcare settings. And we do population level surveillance for various infections like this. Um, so looking at this is how we get like rates of infections is you need to know a defined population, you know, Monroe County, how many people are there? And then looking to see how many people get uh, infection X, Y, or Z, and then understanding what makes that person at risk for it as opposed to someone else who didn't get it. And how can we try and use that information to prevent infections or prevent severe disease from the infection? So that is still ongoing, but you can imagine it's a, a CDC partnership. It's, um, it's been an interesting year for the program, but they actually do a ton of work um, with COVID right now as well. Um, so they're a, a really um, great source of data for COVID infections in our community. Do you feel like, this might not be a fair question, but do you feel like the pandemic has irreversibly changed the way that you're going to practice epidemiology or look at infectious diseases? Do you feel like there's been some sort of turning point with this? I think there's been a turning point, several turning points. Um, I think nationally and in a, in a broader sense, the role of public health officials and infectious disease experts has hopefully fundamentally changed for the better. I think we were at kind of a, a crisis point where it was unclear who really were experts to go to in certain areas and um, who could you trust information from? And I, I really hope that at the end of this, as we work through this, people will see that for anything, we, we do have people that, that dedicate their lives to understanding this and, and knowing this um, and are becoming better communicators um, to share their information and have that information be credible and trusted. Um, so I do see a nice shift there. And the fact that, you know, Dr. Fauci is the household name and his face is on donuts <laughs> is a really good sign for that. Um, that's very exciting. And I think for me personally and for my 
kind of subfield of the, you know, hospital epidemiology and infection prevention work. Um, you know, I also see our role and involvement as um, changing for the better. I, I think I know that I now know way more people around the medical center and in the community than I did before this. Um, and I do think a, a, lot, a lot of other people also know me now. And I have people reaching out to me that um, certainly wouldn't have before with questions related to COVID, but then also other questions and, and other things. So I think the connections that were built um, I hope uh, will, and I, I think they they should stand. And it's been, I think here locally, it's been tremendous that from the start and through now, almost a year into it, we really have taken a community level approach. And I think that's rare. Uh, I don't think that's happening everywhere in the country. Um, and so I see that as, as fundamentally changing. Um, and it's great because that's something that does tie into uh, the research that I'm involved in um, with the Center for Community Health and Prevention is this idea that we're all part of one community. So the infections that we see at our hospital, these patients live in a community with people that go to other hospitals. And so we really um, aren't doing ourselves any favor by living in our little silo. So I think the way that barriers have broken down um, I, I hope that those barriers stay down. I don't think anybody's, anyone is excited to put them back up. Uh, so I think that's uh, gonna be a nice change. And I do think it'll be interesting to see how we tackle future flu seasons <laughs> on more specifics. And, you know, has this changed how we approach respiratory viruses um, and seeing how we can stop flu in its tracks um, if we do all of these things because of COVID, but these same principles work for all the other viruses that we just took as a fact of life every year. Um, when you think about, um, you know, while it's it's not the really staggering numbers we're seeing from COVID, but if you think about the number of people who die from flu every year, if those are truly preventable deaths, um, then I do see us as kind of changing how we how we think about that. With how hard the last year has been, I think that the hopes and the bright lights that you can find in this, I, I agree. I feel like we will be fundamentally changed for having lived through this time and, and worked through this time in different capacities, but then also hopefully the community continues to stay together in this work of preventing illnesses and deaths as a result. Yeah, I really do hope, you know, I certainly the losses uh, and, and scars um, that that people have felt and have from the pandemic will last. Um, but I'm very optimistic that all of the good and um, all of the knowledge and benefits that have come from this will also last and really multiply uh, and be applied to new situations. We like to ask on the podcast about a community-based organization that um, you would like to highlight or put some focus on. Is Besides the Center for Community Health, is there another organization that you know about the work that they're doing that you feel like people should look into or hear more about? I think, you know, just the other day, I was 
reminded of and I guess made more aware of um, all the work that's been done in our city to ensure that uh, the children are still receiving two meals a day um, despite the schools being closed. Um, I know there's a lot of people involved in that. And so I don't want to highlight one person or one group um, over another, but I do know that the um, food service workers in the schools have been there since last March when barely anyone was leaving their house. And um, before we had outside of the hospital or your, any um, kind of widespread prevention measures like masking and being aware of our social distancing, they were going in, they were making meals. Um, lots of folks were involved in distributing those meals. Um, and that's been going on all year long uh, for the children of our community. So um, if you know some of the other organizations who are actually really, you know, kind of on the ground involved in that, please um, feel free to, to add in um, their names and associations. But I think that's tremendous work that has largely probably gone under the radar, um, but is really amazing. Yeah, it's been a huge partnership between the city school district, Food Link, and then a number of other organizations. Yeah, that, that's, that's an excellent uh, thing to highlight. We like to ask people, what is your favorite thing about Rochester? Oh gosh, where to start um, on a cold snowy day like today? <laughs> I would have to say, um, and I guess this kind of like brings it back to the beginning, is the really easy access to parkland yet live in the city. I, as you all know, live um, in the city myself and I just love that I can be out my door and seriously hardcore hiking up a hill, <laughs> um, you know, just by walking down the street, yet also go see a movie walking down the street, go to one of, I don't know, eight different restaurants um, with people from all over the world <laughs> owning and running them um, all kind of outside my door. And I think to have access to that in such a real way um, that you can do it at the, you know, the end of a long work day, um, still have all these experiences. I, I love that. It's quite unique. Where can people find out more about you or the work that you're doing or uh, any of the stuff that you talked about today? Is there a place that we should direct people, whether it's a website or Twitter or Facebook or um, where can people find out more? I do have to admit myself personally have zero social media presence. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so uh, I think the the University Medical Center uh, website would be um, certainly the best way to get in touch with me directly. Um, that'll feed into email or our clinics. Um, and for a lot of the other work. Uh, also, I would say probably the university's COVID website and um, then again, the Center for Community Health and Prevention uh, getting into some of the work uh, through there. Wonderful. Brenda, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Megan. It was really a pleasure and great to connect with you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Thriving Forward podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Kids Thrive 585 Inc., the Huckelman Center at the University of Rochester, and Rochester Regional Health. 
To learn more about today's guest, head over to kidsthrive585.org and click on the podcast link. See you next time. The views, information, and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of their employers or funders.